Emerging Voices Fellowship is a literary mentorship that provides new writers the tools to launch a professional writing career. Emerging Voices is the most amazing program that allows the writers to develop. It's the opportunity to have my work in the world, to get to the truth of my writing, to know that what I'm writing matters. Right. Welcome back to the Emerging Voices podcast. This is episode two, and I'm here with F. Douglas Brown, our poetry masterclass instructor. Hi, Doug. Hello. So I call you Doug, mm -hmm. but you are F. Douglas Brown. Right. What does the F stand for? So my full name is Frederick Douglas Brown. Okay. Named after my father, who was named after Frederick Douglas, the famous abolitionist. Great. Tough and, name to hold. And did you say that you, you're working on your next collection is about your name? Correct. It's what does done, that mean? It's called Icon. It means I wasted a lot of time in high school signing my name to get the perfect signature, and I think about that in poems. Yeah. It uh, means uh, I've examined ways that uh, my name has changed, like nicknames and whatnot. Um it means I've examined how I kind of deflected being named after Frederick Douglass. And I guess in the era that we are living in, it became important. It became important to understand that name and why it was mine and why I needed to speak on behalf of it. Great, great. Mm -hmm. So since you brought up high school, let's talk about your origin story and like what, how did you become this master poet that yeah. we all know and love? I think I wanted to do two things in life. One was to be an architect, and the other one was to be a teacher. And my You're senior, kind of both of those. I know, yeah. right? Some, somewhat. My senior teacher, uh, Tom Barber, shout out to Tom Barber, and senior English teachers who changed people's lives. Um, he was doing this thing called the Bay Area Writing Project, where he would introduce us to real writers, introduce students to real writers, their work, and approach the teaching of writing like a writer approaches it, and it really changed my life. And he showed us this video of uh, Quincy Troop, the poet Quincy Troop, who read this poem about Magic Johnson, and I was blown away. And I didn't know people could write poems about Magic Johnson, who is my favorite basketball player, and the way Quincy talked about poetry, it was a Bill Moyers Language of Life show that we watched. And all the things he was doing, he was going to prisons, he was talking to kids, he was doing readings like at a bar. And I was like, I want to do all of that. Right. You know. Yeah. And then he read, the, it culminated in that, him reading that Magic Johnson poem. And I was just taken aback. So did you, did you have experience with poetry prior to that where you were like, what is this? Yeah, you know, I, I, it was uh, our books. We bought all our books. I went to a private high school and we bought all our books. And I still have them. And I go back and I look at them and all the poems. I was like drawing little lines, drawing things that the images were showing. So I was really participating with the mm -hmm. poems more than any other thing. Yeah. You know, and I thought that was interesting. So that I was already looking at and noticing things in the poetry that I wasn't willing to pick up and wanting to pick up in the other types of literature. Right. And do you have an advanced degree in creative writing? 
I do. I do. I have a master's in creative writing from San Francisco State. And then uh, I did take all of the MFA classes as well, with the exception of the thesis class, which has always eluded me. And then I went back to Antioch to finish and then just stuff with family and everything. And so I never finished. So I have a master's, but no MFA, but have done all the classwork for an right, MFA. Right. And then I wrote a book and then that gets put on and the then, shelf. And then I wrote a book, yada, yada. Yada, yada. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me how you came to, so, you, so you're an English teacher for, mm-hmm. for high school boys. Yes. You, and you are teaching at a private school, correct? Correct. correct. So you're like back in that private school you're back where you started, basically. Yeah, this yeah. is my 23rd year teaching. I just finished my 23rd year. Congratulations. Thank you. You don't look that old. I know, I'm 25. <laughs> Two-year-old genius up there teaching poems. No. Um, my, when I first started, the same teacher who inspired me was the guy who hired me for my first teaching yeah. assignment. Yeah. And my first year, he said, um, do what you think is best, the thing that you like most in literature, teach them that. So I taught like an eight week long poetry workshop. I was like, they're not, they're only going to read poems. He's like, fine. And so they read poems, you know, kids, they still comment on, they're not kids anymore on Facebook or they reach out to me. It's like, oh, I still remember the poetry workshops right. we did. And they wrote essays on poems. It's like everything came back to a poem. Yeah. Yeah. I um, actually want to take that like yeah. now. Well, the class now I teach is African-American poetry. Yeah. And now it's much more refined and, you know, uh, the same thing, though. They love it. And, you know, students who I never had are so happy that they took that their senior year that they, they might have been on an AP track. Yeah. And for their senior year, they didn't want to do it or they wanted, they thought it was going to be easier to take an elective and they took my class and it kind of changes their trajectory. So a kid just came, graduated, first year of college. He's like, I'm a creative writing major now because of your class. I was like, what? That's amazing. Don't tell your parents you're going to be broken living with them <laughs> for the rest of your life. But it was awesome. And I, no, I was excited. And I was like, well, you could do anything. You could go to law school if you want. Yeah. Because the way you read is just as fine-tuned as a lawyer just without that bill. Right, right. That you give them at the end. Yeah, yeah. So how how did you find your way to the master class, the poetry master class for Emerging Voices? Um, I guess I was one of the um, visiting poets. Mm-hmm. And people. we had people over our house. And that went really well. Talk about what that means. So to be a visiting poet, the EVs come to either a space or the poets either come to a space, the EVs will go to a space to meet the poets. And I said they could come over to my house and they came over and they just, they basically read your book and they have questions for you. It's like everything you want to know from a writer about that book and the writer's right there in the room with you. That's the way I saw it. Yeah. And um, it was really a moving experience for me because I had never thought that uh, the things that I was doing alone in a room would resonate for people the way it did. And one of the EVs, Octavia, she said to me, when I read your book, it felt like my father who had passed away was 
right next to me, reading alongside. And I was blown away that it could have that profound effect on somebody. And it really, you know, I knew initially after writing uh, Zero to Three that my life was going to change and that I would have to become more responsible as a writer Mm -hmm. and as a human. Mm -hmm. And when she said that, it just really drove that home. And that what that you wrote that after your own father's passing, correct? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So I've been writing about. So when my son was born, um, I felt a little cheated out of that that whole creative process of pregnancy, mm. and so um, and uh, as if um, I so I wanted I just I'm not so much cheated. I just wanted to show that there was something happening in me. To, right. as the father right. that was just as creative and that I, and I wanted him to know how I felt when I felt it. Right. I've yeah. been inspired by a book, um, You Don't Miss Your Water by Cornelius Eating. Mm-hmm. And I was well, after reading that book, I did not want that relationship that he talks about early in the book. Um, as a son, the relationship he had as a, with his father, I didn't want that to happen. Right. And so, I thought I was going to write it first, get ahead of it, and as parenting goes, you, you really don't. It, no matter what, you're going to uh, fall in some pit holes and, and learn from them, you hope, with your right. child as they get older and learn and whatnot. So, Zero to Three really is about that, and as much as I didn't want... Uh, I didn't want like uh, to have anything that um, I wasn't saying to him. The book is really about that which is not said mm-hmm. and what I hold back as a father and me trying to figure out how to say these things to my children mm-hmm. and then how do I say these things to a, a person who has passed on and I've held these feelings and I've never got to say them to them and does it go to a dead end? Does it? Does it? Where does it go? Mm. Well, let's talk about, we may be all over the place because I'm trying to make this seem like it's a very authentic conversation and we haven't written down any questions, (laughs) but we have people we have. Um, Like your last 12 months have been crazy for you. Yes. Um, Your sister was ill last last year when you were teaching the master class. Your mother passed. January. January, I was going to say four months ago. And, And you had a baby. You have a new baby and your new book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do you, how do you continue to write? How do you continue to give parts of yourself to your students, to these masterclass kids, to your own kids, and then still write? How do you balance all, balance all of that? Yeah. Like emotionally, physically, spiritually? I think, uh, part of me, the bad part of me is to be busy. And not deal with it but I've been busy in a way that I've also surrounded myself with these wonderful people and luckily uh, at each of those turns the, the work that those people are doing really helped lift me up hmm. you know um, like who that, for example I mean like like Chuan Choi mm-hmm. you know Chuan they wanted to publish zero. I mean, they wanted to publish Icon, uh, the new book, and 
we did all of this and we have we still have all these big ideas for the book and then boom my mother is sick and then had died and it's like it was, it was right on the edge where we needed to do some final edits so it could be published at a certain time right and they stepped back and gave me the space and didn't no emails no nothing it's like just take your time right you know and that that meant the world to me yeah. Um, and then the baby was born, and like we had to do some things, and you know they never wanted to interfere, and they made sure not just me as the friend, but me, their client, was really taken care of and given the space that I needed, and then that they were gonna hustle when I said, "Let's go." Yeah. You know, and that's been the case, and that's been awesome. You yeah. know, cool. Yeah. I didn't feel any pressure. Right, a return back right away, or uh, have a quick turnaround for something, you know. And you know, other poets who are doing the work around the city, you know, and the the Sandra Bland reading series I run, uh, or that I started, has now, uh, you know, put in the hands of two new hosts, Rocio Carlos and Brittany Williams, and they have been amazing in planning and organizing and inviting people and whatnot and and not that things have been alleviated i still worry and stress or whatever but it's i'm not alone in it. yeah you know yeah i'm not alone no um, just all the term mike the poet oh i can't even talk at that guy has been so helpful in so many ways and just either giving me space or making sure like what are you doing let's go right today you know, or do you have time to go get some coffee? Let's go right and this and that. So right. Just right. those little things have helped a lot. And know? I will say, too, it's like you these names that you mentioned, this idea of community, if you follow Doug on Facebook, for instance, it's like every poetry reading that's happening within the city or the surrounding area, um, things that are happening on a national basis, you know, he's posting poems that have um, touched him on the daily, I think. And tell me how, or tell us, how important it is for poets to have community. And I'm also going to say that you keep moving around and I'm letting you do it because you're a performer. But if you hear all those noises, that's Doug, like, pontificating yeah. <laughs> beside me in the chair. Um, poetry, uh, it, it, it doesn't pay many bills, if any. Right. Right. <laughs> so all you have is the, the group of poets that you build with. And I love that I'm writing at this time. I love what all the poetry that's happening at this time. And it's really an exciting time to be amongst that. Um, and we'll see what it looks like when the, when the smoke clears, if it ever does. I just think um, there's just so many badass poets in the and who are speak not just trying to make things beautiful not just right. for their own aesthetics on the page even that are really either calling things out or really speaking for people who have no voice uh who are teaching us new voices and just really doing it uh, you know and i've been saying this for the past year who's going to treat work the most work with as much care as possible and that's really the poet or even the press that you really want to deal with you know, and there's so many people who want to care for you through your work, and I think that means a lot. 
because again, we're we're mostly alone and doing this work. And then what I've really learned is that a press is there to help you make your work public. Mm-hmm. Whether it be a journal or a press is going to publish a book, they're helping you bridge that gap. And sometimes as a poet or as the artist, I might be in resistance to that. And what I've learned over the past years, you know, not to bristle, but just really to listen and not to think that they're trying to do you any harm. Like really look at what their intent is. And then for the most part, I've been lucky that people and their intent has been to elevate and to hold me either accountable or to make sure the work, my work that I've created looks the best <coughs> and is the best light that I could possibly have wanted and, or a, a better light than I ever imagined. Mm-hmm. You know. What do you think our responsibility is as artists to be activists? Um, I think it goes hand in hand. I, and I know a lot of artists don't, don't believe that. Um, and then there's some who can't help but think that's the responsibility. Uh, you know, Nina Simone said is the role of the artist is to reflect the times. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's hard not to do that. <coughs> um, but if we turn away from newspapers, if we turn away from the news, you know, where, where are we at? Right? We live in... Right. Par- even if you're on paradise somewhere, it's hard to turn away right. from the catastrophe that's going on in right. the White House or whatever. And it doesn't even have to be that big. You <laughs> just look at a community paper. Right. You know, right. and just see what's going on in your own community and to write about that. We had, uh, as a Cave Canem fellow, I was just really lucky to have people who came through. Uh, and one person who came through who was one of the teachers there who was one is my favorite poet is claudia rankin and we were always asking for prompts for the poets and claudia was like open a paper mm-hmm. you know there you go you have all the prompt you need right there and so that's the first craft tip or that's the first exercise open a paper yeah right open a paper look at what's <laughs> going on in your world and address it Patricia Smith, I always use this poem with my students, the skinhead poem. Mm-hmm. And she is a persona poem that she wrote uh, in the voice of a skinhead. And it's like, why would this black woman write in this voice? What, why do we need that voice? And she said, I wrote this poem so I could better understand this person. Mm-hmm. So I could, I could be a better human even if he wasn't. Right. You know? And right. that's amazing. It's you beautiful. Know? It's beautiful, yeah. and that's the goal, yeah. right? Yeah. Not to just point fingers or whatever, but maybe even point a finger at our own self and our own frailties, and the things that we're afraid of, and and have an outward expression that either addresses or attacks that. Or, yeah. I think it's a wonderful thing. Why do you think that emerging voices is important? Well, I think the fact that. There are people who don't have access to education, and more and more that's going to happen. And there are people who don't have access to to writing. You know, I was talked about this today with the class. Um, this idea of a, a poem is not a luxury, and so many people think that that it is. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there's an organization that's going to reach people 
in the communities who need their voices heard uh, the most is important because it really we're living in a time where people are turning away from that and turning away from them and um, just from my experience the things that the EVs have done thereafter has just been really exciting mm -hmm. you know the readings that they've done the books that they've written um, the energy that they bring to a reading has just all been really exciting and and it's rippled it's been a rippling effect and that's what's just been that's what's been great you yeah. know I can't talk enough about like Natasha Dion, Kima Jones, um, now Ken Capers, right? Mm -hmm. And I, you know, doing a reading with him last night, it was just to see his growth, like just for him to even come out of his shell. I, I, I think when I met him, he was such a different Kenneth last night. Mm. than that first Kenneth mm -hmm. that I met, mm -hmm. who was maybe a little bit unsure about his work, unsure about his place in doing this, and now has just totally taken it all. Mm. And he came to us as a as a fiction fellow from Atlanta. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and he's remained here, and he's living at Art Art, Art, Art LA, yeah. and uh, working at Last Bookstore. It's like you're right. There's tentacles that just kind of reach out, you know, definitely across Los Angeles, and and there were people, there were readers there, and audience members there that I had never seen in a poetry reading. And, you know, and I've gone a lot of readings here in LA. Mm -hmm. And so just to be introduced to a new group of folks by somebody who is really in the, the has been at the readings that I've gone to is really exciting. Mm -hmm. too, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So he's creating more, yeah, like you said, tentacles and just more opportunities yeah. all over the place. Yeah. So. Well, That's you were true. here, I think, Thursday night. We're in the middle. Well, you just finished your last poetry master class today. Yes. And you, you said, when I win the lottery, actually, you've said this a couple times. When I win the lottery, I'm going to make sure that there's two poetry fellows and two, there's two of everything. You're mm -hmm. like going to build your own creative writing art. <laughs> Because yeah. um, right if now, Michelle you know, lets yeah, you. <laughs> Michelle lets you. Uh, right now, we have five fellows, and you know, we they're picked based off talent and merit. And you know, if 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 it happens that we have two poets, that's what happens. Right. Just in the last three or four years, it has not happened. So what we've done is we've you know the the Alex was our was our first uh, podcast guest. He teaches the prose writers, and then you've come in to teach the poetry classes. And we've tried, you know, inviting EV alumni, poets, in to take class with the current um, poet EV. Mm -hmm. We've also opened up a class to have all levels of poets uh, take class with the EV. And then this year we kind of uh, turned inward a little, and we had like an internal vetting process where we, we you know, narrowed it down so that there were four people in the class. Uh, so Juby got the same kind of attention um, with, like, master poets. And I'm making the fingers because mm -hmm. I'm wondering, like, what does it mean to you to be a master poet? And, like, how do you feel like the experience has changed over, say, the last three years with these different formats? <sighs> to be a master poet, I think one... Um... Who, a poet who is so strong in their process and in their craft that they're willing or that they either see 
the direction of a poem in multiple ways or have the possibility to see that in multiple ways. For example, um, if I write a line, I can kind of see that I need to craft it a certain way, but I'm not stuck in this only, this one way. So if I want to write a sonnet and I start to write a sonnet and it's not working, I have the, I don't know, the confidence enough to break it apart to make things and to lose things where as I think younger or newer nascent poets might have a problem with that. They mm -hmm. want to hold on to that initial response. No. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean like book learning, you know, like because they, they might not know the terminology, but there is some kind of inherent like skill or ability or Yeah, what? I would think I would think there's some, for the master poets, yeah. I would think there's a fair amount of understanding of what the thing is in the poem. So yeah. to, to be able to name the parts, is, okay. I think, is important. Yeah. You know, do I know everything in whatever Oxford Dictionary of Poetry says? No. Yeah. But I know how to find it out quickly and then how to apply it maybe faster than a, a newer poet. Right, right. Right. Uh, I just and I see things just stronger. It's like being a Jedi. You just see things <laughs> versus someone who's just like really talented, yeah. right? Yeah. And you know, there are a lot of talented people, but the matter of like how willing they are to work at it over and over, I think also shows that rigor shows mastery. Okay. What I've seen in the what four years I've been here, this group was the most willing. This group that you just this group with, that right? I just finished mm -hmm. with to go through the grind that I was willing that I put them through. Okay. Versus other times, I don't know if other poets really had the confidence in their work. Right. To do it, and they just might have needed different things, and I kind of figured that out, and we did different things. But this group kind of showed that their their level, their their they were well read. You know, most of the examples that I brought in, they kind of knew of these poets already. Uh, and they were willing to just try, yeah. and they and they admitted up front like the things that they were weak in, which never happened. Okay. So I think initially I might have asked them some other questions. I do like, and because of how the EVs work, I do like when we have people who are just new to poetry. Okay. You know, who yeah. are interested in it. You know, I show my students at whatever level, high school or adults, or even. The six, seven, eighth graders that I teach, I do show them uh, a pen conversation and workshop with Tracy K. Smith, mm -hmm. and we watch how they respond to one poem uh, by Steve Scafidi, and it's just a wonderful video, and it's a great way to approach a poem. And so, whatever level I teach at, I think I always show that because that particular workshop that she's running, they're not her. Princeton students, they're not graduate students, they're all people who have, they might write an occasional poem here and there, or might be interested in a poem, and the way she levels the playing field mm. is really interesting. Mm. So, you know, I kind of do that too. So I have uh, these kind of three aspects I always look at, image, action, risk. And depending on the level of student, I'll find examples that kind of fit those three areas. And to be able to talk about image, action, and risk, 
I could go really deep and heady in it, like the way a master level student would, or we could go kind of surface with it the way maybe my sixth, seventh, eighth graders and might need to. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Mm -hmm. So seeing me transform that over the years has been fun and refining it, refining it has been fun to do. Yeah. And and again, so to see these students really take hold of it, um, and to really push themselves with it, uh, has been has been tough for them and exciting to see like their work change. Because mm -hmm. that's the other thing I don't think I get a chance to see their work change. But this one in particular, we took some time and we really saw the work change, or at least their approach to it change. Yeah. Yeah. You said poetry is not a luxury. Do you, like, talk about that a little bit more. Like, poetry is not a luxury. I feel like poetry informs every form of creative writing, for sure. But do you feel like it's similar to music in that it um, affects people in a certain way or more immediately than other forms of writing might? Yeah. Well, first, just, you know, that is from Audre Lorde. And I think she's talking about poets and poetry not being passive and poetry that has to engage with uh, the needs of society and the needs of the people you know mm -hmm. and how poetry could be a means for that instead of just being a means for the aesthetics uh, I think music does that and maybe even better than poetry times where I think they both intersect I mean on a lot of ways technically but um, you know, you have your taste of music, I have my taste of music. So that fingerprint, I think, is really important to poetry and for people to understand that they have a, a particular way of seeing things. Like if a car were to crash right now, and we you and I, it. we would both hear <laughs> it, and you and I would respond to it differently. Right. And in that poem, our, the way we break a line, even if we wrote the line the same, the place where we would break it is really showing our own fingerprint. Yeah. Our own breath to what we would bring to this to the work on the page, yeah. and I think that's important to understand, to help writers understand that young writers understand that you know, or newer writers. I, I keep saying young. I don't mean age, but who are young to the to doing to the this full time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, and we break them apart. So in that way, you know, it's not luxurious and not just in its scope of what it could say, but in the it's not luxurious that, oh, I'm just going to sit and dream and this is going to come on the page. It's like, no, you need to work at right. this. Let's figure this out. Let's really put your mark on it because it's your genuine voice on this page. Yeah. Your fingerprint on the page. You know? Yeah. It's your taste. Was it last year? You, I, you're a DJ also. Mm -hmm. Was it last year that you did the workshop shaped around the Around Prince. Prince, yeah. So what was that? Well, it was two years ago. Two, two years, years ago. ago. Okay, yeah. yeah. That was great. That was right. Oh, it, was, it was right it after was he sad. died. It was sad because yeah. it was right after he died, and it was a good way. Uh, it was a good way just to keep him around. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But to, what I did was broke every week down based off a song or an album, and that was going to be how we were going to look at the work. So Purple Rain was this, and you know Prince for You, his first album was this, and Controversy was another one, yeah. and then 
he had this album called The Gold Album, which is like a dance album, and that was really like revisions, and so it was fun. That was fun. And then how did the students react to that? Like, I'm thinking that was the year that you had Wendy. Right. Wendy Lavender. Yeah, yeah. And like Wendy and Prince, those two things like don't match to me <laughs> in my yeah. mind. But I feel like she was definitely challenged by that class. Yeah. So how did, do you remember, remember how it went or? Um, I remember, I'm trying to think. I remember, definitely remember Wendy. I remember that the way we kind of approached the poems. I don't know if I did a good job of making the connections with it. But I think, again, and talking about how I pushed them, I think that group wasn't ready for me to push them in the way that I pushed them. This, this group. Yeah, and it might and it might be me too. Like I might have been too close to the theme. I had to go back and look at the notes because I, I blame me if they weren't ready. It's because we didn't get them there right away, and th and that was a bigger class. Yeah. And so the time flies. It's yeah. like oh, two and a half hours. Yeah. And then we look at the clock and we've got fifteen minutes left. You know. Yeah. So. Well, don't you think it's better, like, as an instructor, that they're not ready rather than have them be, like, not interested? You know, like, because I feel like when you're dealing with, when it's not difficult enough or it's not hard enough to grasp or right. ethereal enough, it's like you're not holding people's attention. Yeah. Well, and I think the pace. So this is what happened with this class, and I think which made the difference is I asked them to do a pretty serious revision piece and initially I was like yeah you'll do it for next week yeah <laughs> and they were like no we need some time for this yeah and seeing what they turned in giving them the time really made sense yeah and I don't know as I look back to the other the previous ones I don't know if I've given them that time right and just because the classes were all over, now that I know yeah. that they really need this time and to allow that to happen. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So again, I mean, I thought the classes were great, but I think I know more now about how this should work. Yeah. yeah. You know, I feel more comfortable in it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Too, so it's not on, on yeah. them. Well, it's a learning process for all of us, sure. right? You know, sure. I feel like if it's not, then we're doing something wrong. Well, we've done... I think we've talked about like different things all mm -hmm. the time mm -hmm. and how, uh, you know, I usually talk to you early in the year. You're like, okay, what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. And this time we didn't do that. Yeah. We just knew that this is who I was going to work with. Yeah. This is what we were going to do. This yeah. is what we were yeah. going to do. Yeah. And it was that more of a la laser focus. Yeah. Instead of like a themed focus, yeah. I yeah. could really just focus on their work. Yeah. And so the way I thought about it was like, okay, this is, they're going to get like a little bit of graduate school, a little bit of Kabe Kanam or Kundiman. Like I'm going to put all these things that I know of and what would they want before they would start a graduate school program or to even apply to UV? Right. Like what would they need? And this is what I felt. Yeah. Like they needed. Yeah. You know? So I'm glad you brought those up because we haven't talked about Kabe Kanam and Kundiman. Um, you're a fellow for both of those. Mm -hmm. And so tell the uninitiated what that means. So, um, Kave Kanam is an organization that caters to uh, African American poetry and being the home of African American poetry and all of that, the possibility of African American poetry. And Kundiman is the same before Asian American poetry. Okay. 
Um, Kaveh Karman just celebrated its 20th anniversary, so it's been around for a while and it's been really successful. The poets who've been involved in it uh, have been really successful. Natasha Trethaway, Tracy K. Smith, you know, two of our our current poet laureate, Tracy K. and our former poet laureate. Yeah, yeah. You know, Natasha was a two-time poet laureate. Um, Major Jackson. So what does it mean for you to be a fellow for these organizations? Well, I mean, you talked about community yeah. right on, you know, just honestly. Cave um, Canem, for me, is really like my turn back into. So I, I graduated from grad school in 01. Mm -hmm. And then I stopped writing. I was teaching. I had stopped writing for a long time. and Went through a divorce and was like, what do I do? And I, I went to an AWP. Went to a Cave Canem uh, panel, yeah. and I was like, I'm going to apply to Cave Canem, and yeah. literally just like held my envelope up, and was like, okay, this is it, you know, I'm going to be a teacher, or maybe I'm going to be a writer, we'll see, so I put it in the mail, the submission in the mail, and I got in, Yeah. and I was in 08, I went, that was the first retreat I went to. What's the residency? Like, what are the terms of it? Two it's weeks? Uh, no, it's just a one-week residency. Okay. And you have to go three times within a five-year period. You're invited to come back. Okay. Time. And it was intense. Yeah. It was intense. Yeah. And I learned a lot, not just about poetry, but about myself, about writing in community and what that really meant, about blackness and the diversity of that. Yeah and the diversity of our words and uh, our letters and just learn so much in yeah. the, that first week and just inspired me just to keep going. Yeah. And then I went back every other year. So 08, 2010, and 2012 is when I finished. Yeah. And just like the people who I've met and the people who I was at the retreat with, so many of them have blown up now. I love looking at our old Cave Canem pictures before any of us had a books yeah. or awards or anything. And it's just like so many happy people. And we're yeah. all happy now. Yeah, I was going to say, so now still, everybody's successful and, and miserable. It's just it's just so <laughs> like innocent. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I remember Robin Costlis, like immediately meeting Robin. She's like, you're my family, you know, and that made the difference, yeah. you know, and, and all who Robin has become. Yeah. And she's we still go we go back to that initial time every yeah. time. Yeah. And she is. She's my sister. Yeah. That's that's how I introduced Robin to somebody, you know. And yeah. I love that. I yeah. love that. Yeah. You know. And Jeffrey. Jeffrey's like yeah. my brother, Jeffrey yeah. Davis. Yeah. And, you know, he and I we wrote a book together and, you know, we did a workshop around the country yeah. together, yeah. you know, and it's yeah. just that is amazing yeah. to, to have somebody who we can trade, not just trade work with, but can be my most honest self with. Mm -hmm. So Jeffrey and I write about fatherhood, and I was having an issue with my son. And I called Jeffrey, and I was, like, bawling about this incident. And it was, like, a similar incident that Jeffrey always writes about. And we just talked. We just talked about the whole thing. And I was like, if... Regardless of any of the publication stuff that Cave Canem has opened the door for me for, that Cave Canem gave me Jeffrey for that moment 
right then and there. Mm -hmm. And that has made the world, you know. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't I don't need to publish another poem. Mm. But that moment was so important for me and that and it goes back to Kawe Kano, mm -hmm. you know. I think I have a similar feeling about EV because I think about that, you know, because I'm still working on my book and it's been since 2012. Mm -hmm. But I feel I feel like that about the the influence or the way that I've helped some of the other EVs. Like if if right. if one of them goes on to be successful in something that I said made that ha made their life easier or made their writing career better, like then it's like that's the thing. So maybe that's why you're here. Maybe yeah. that's the one thing that you're here. And with you, you know, we've benefited, Emerging Voices has benefited because Je Jeffrey taught a class for us a couple years ago on the business of poetry. And he spoke with Juby this year about poetry and, like, how to make a life as a poet. Right. Um, you know, Douglas Manuel uh, subbed for you last year mm -hmm. when you were going through something, and he ended up being Juby's mentor this year. And right. it's like we, we all kind of benefit from this, like, kind of mutual relationship, I hope. Because, yeah. you know, if you need something, you email me or you call me and I try to do what I can to, to, to help. Yeah, you, you do know? it all. You do it all. You know, but it's like, I feel like that's why we do it. And, you know, when people yeah. ask me about being like part, I feel like my job, I'm, I get to be part of the resistance. Because yeah. for me, it means that like I'm helping these, these people, these writers, publish their stories or tell their stories or right. get their stories out into the world. And that's important, you know. Um, or even to know they had a story. Yeah. Some of them didn't even think right. that this was worthy of this is everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think some of us are told that, that it's not important. Like right. we're raised in that kind of family or that dynamic where, you know, it's a hobby. Right. That right. that 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 poetry is a lux is a yeah, luxury. Yeah. You know, really it's like it well. words yeah. are a luxury, you know? Right. Um tell me about collections that have particularly influenced your writing or poems. Oh, man. Today I was going to talk about this poem by this poet, Thalius Moss. Uh-huh. Who's also, I think she's taught at Cave Um But she wrote this poem called An Anointing. That's the poem I always go back to. I'm like, I'm always trying to, that's the one I always want to That's the one you're for. holding up? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so many poems I love. You know, last year, I think everything I taught from my class to this class was the Ross Gay poem, Feet. Yeah. Which is a beautiful, beautiful poem. And then there's a moment in the poem where it just flips. And that gesture has become really important in my teaching. Yeah. You know, what you need to look at or look for. Um, so hard to pinpoint just one. Yeah. You know, um, today I shared these two poems by Robin Cost Lewis. Yeah. Uh, Plantation, which is a freaking monument of a poem. And then there's this other poem that she has in her book that's about her dad. And I told him, sometimes you need to write towards the monument type of poem, but I hope you also write a poem about yeah. something that you hold really close to your heart. Yeah. And for Robin to have both of those in that book, you, you know, there's no question why she wins what she wins. Right. You know, and that's what I'm always kind of looking for, like in, in any collection. Yeah. Um, you know, Time Bay Jess. It's, the Oleo is like, I mean, that's the, 
the master of the master right mm-hmm. there, you know. Mm-hmm. It's so, um, it's like uh, acrobatics. Yeah. It's like, you know, verbal and a language acrobatics right. on a lot of levels, linguistic acrobatics. And, you know, that's hard to aspire to, to do all of that all the time. Yeah. So I always tell students, don't shoot towards that. Go back to, well, with him, it's tough too. Yeah. Go back to his first book and in there, Find something that you can hold on to. Right. You something know. small to attach. Yeah, I told this class the the so the year I decided I was like, all right, I'm gonna put a book together. I looked at all of these books that won or that were nominated or had won National Book Awards mm-hmm. or Pulitzers in the last like three years. And I bought these books and read them and I was like, This is crazy. There's no way. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna do this. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, of course, you can't, you're not going to do that. Why don't you look at their first books? Right. So I went back to all the first books, and I was like, oh. Yeah. I could do that. Yeah. Or I could get close to that, maybe. That seems manageable. You know? And then, you know, you're going to have these books like Maggie Nelson's Bluets or or Richard Seekin's Crush. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like, like they're freaks what? right out of the gate. Right. Yeah. Robin's book, you know. Yeah. And there's so many, yeah. you know, just right out the gate, yeah. Dennis Smith's books, like yeah. every one of them, you know, no matter where you go. Yeah. So, it's the Ricky Laurentiis is a masterpiece. Yeah. It's just crazy. I'd just like to do a plug right now that those are two poets that Juby also got to talk to this year because of the Emerging <laughs> Voices right. Fellowship. That's right. Uh, do you want to read us a poem? Yeah, do you want to read, should I read an older poem? I'm going to read an older poem. Is this the one, does this have the one where you tell your dad you kissed a man? Yes. I like that one. Just saying. You don't have to read that one. <laughs> All right. Have you started writing poems about your mom? Uh, just last week. So I finally started. Uh, the water broke. Yeah. You know, a lot of it is finding the space to do it. Yeah. The time. Do you feel yeah, like it no. takes you back? Like, do you kind of, are you kind of re-traumatizing yourself in a way that like memoirists are by writing about someone who's who's past or difficult times? Well, I guess I, I know I need I need just the solitude. I need not to feel like uh, I need to make sense of it right now. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, I think uh, another thing I was told about writing a book is that you can write about it again and again. (coughs) Something, a subject like that, is going to always haunt me and and help me at the same time for any poem I'm writing. So there's no rush to it. Um, Yeah, Cheryl Strayed says that every every story she's ever written has been about her mom. (laughs) Yeah. All right, give us one. All right. I'm going to set up this image. F. Douglas Brown, sitting here, both of us, no shoes on. One of us has his toenails painted. Guess which one it is. <laughs> here, I'll, write, I'll read this about my dad. These dead days. My father's laughter still bellows over everything. His utterance peaks with the morning paper. A mist of bacon-scented ink wakes me. Lingers high above my head. His base advises. Plucks the blues back 
into my second chances. His cello grinding scats of R&B veracity. Tell it like it is. Go on and live, baby. Go on and live. His timber so pentagrass blocks my fear of heights, guides me through the dark, slack tone after rosé. He visits the corner liquor store. A bottle, a scratch off, wets his hopes for me. His bootstrapping, do-it-all tone, volume turned up to ten so I could get up early and off to work. His southern manners singing no nonsense, his Folgers, his palm olive, and his Clorox panacea will get me out of trouble when I need it to. The wisdom has the practicality of tea and the know-it-all of a path deep in the woods. Today, the grass grows in his throat, his voice muffled by a coffin. But I hear the Haints roam Mississippi's remarkable heat, my dad's voice throughout the day's dead temperature warbling towards me. Thank you. So how do you know the poem is dumb? <laughs> I know you're going to have something like that. <laughs> um, sometimes you just feel it. Sometimes... I, I don't know, maybe sometimes working with form helps because the form is going to tell you when it's done. Right. Um, you have like a scaffolding. I told you you're an architecture. Yeah, right. An right. architect. <laughs> Can't even talk. Um, sometimes it's just a feeling that when you read it that you know this is where you've said what you needed to say for this subject at this particular moment. Mm -hmm. you know, and there it is. And if you need to say more, you can see if it fits or if the images are colliding out there. I really believe in that poems need to talk to one another. Yeah. So like, I'm always thinking towards manuscript now. And so maybe I could write another poem, same thing, and then, or another poem and figure out how they talk to one another. Mm -hmm. You know, versus like saying that, oh, if I put the period at the end of this, that it's done, and I can never revisit that again until I'm reading it out loud or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that mm -hmm. well I feel like do you, I think we've said what we need to say what do you think period yeah. excellent Done. exclamation point <laughs> so because we've decided or I've decided that we're going to leave uh, the listeners with an exercise at the end of each um, episode give us a master class poetry exercise alright this was the one that really got them and Changed them. This was a two-week exercise. And so, um, any poem that you have that you feel needs revising, revise it in four different ways. Okay. The first way, simple revision. Just whatever nuts and bolts, things that you need to be done. Second, take the same poem, the original poem, and set it to a form, whatever form it might need. Puzzle, bop, sonnet, whatever form, but a strict form. Next, make it into um, a sectional poem where we 
break it out into sections and pieces. And then the last one was make it sonic, like a sonic lyrical poem, where it's really just um, words bouncing off the air of the poem, like just all the words. So make it just sound alive. We actually did, we didn't do the sectional, we actually did an erasure, where you erase part of the lines to make new lines. So you can add a fifth one there. Okay. So there's, a, there's an alternate. So there's like five things that you there's can do. There's five things you can do. Five things you can do. To one poem. One poem. And listen, F. Douglas Brown appearing all around the city. Please follow him on his Facebook, because I have a feeling that's more up to date than his website. Am I wrong? No, my website good? is pretty good. Okay. Instagram, uh, website, yeah. I didn't add uh, maybe yesterday's date. The June stuff needs to come, but the website's pretty accurate. Okay, yeah. so according to F. Douglas Brown, the website is pretty accurate. Yeah, you could click on, the icon stuff is there, that you could buy icon, you can get all of the old stuff. I actually revamped it, like, Perfect. two weeks ago. When's the last time you did Oh, that? that's how you got me. Yeah, I looked at it this morning, but Alex Espinosa, I think he didn't even, he's hasn't updated his since like 2013 or something like oh, that. Oh, no, so I totally no, mine is, yeah, no, mine is be up to date. Thank you, F. Douglas Brown. Sure, you're always you. such a joy. I love it. I'm so glad you're here. I love this place. All right, guys, bye. Bye. America champions the freedom to write and believes that freedom of expression and literature are inseparable. Visit pen.org to learn more about what we do. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Join us. Be a part of the larger conversation. Support for EV comes from sources both big and small. Serious financial support comes from organizations like the Amazon Literary Partnership, California Arts Council, New Balloon and Catapult, Los Angeles County Arts Commission, the Ovation Foundation, Pasadena Literary Alliance, the Rosenthal Family Foundation, and UCLA Extension Writers Program. And let's not forget individuals like Jamie and David Wolf. We appreciate you. To the emerging voices themselves, this podcast is in support of everything you do and everything you've accomplished. Congratulations. We celebrate you. Thanks to 2012 EV Johnny Alfie for giving us our theme song, Linen, from his band, Tony and Johnny. And to the members of the Los Angeles literary community who have been showing up for us for more than 20 years, donating their time as mentors, committee members, author evening hosts, and masterclass instructors, I have leaned on each and every one of you for advice, and I appreciate you. You've been there to answer my questions, those of the fellows, as well as the questions of prospective applicants. You've written letters of recommendation, introductions, outreach essays, and blog posts. You've encouraged EVs to read at your events and said yes when we've asked you to read at ours. And to Dave Thomas, everything we know about public speaking, we learned from you. This is all just to say, thanks LA, sincerely. <laughs>